So we come now to look at chapter 3 of the book of Ruth. And really, it's quite an amazing chapter. And it's been a great blessing. We looked through this book of Ruth over these past few weeks. And listen to what God, through his word, is speaking to us in our generation. But really, when you come to Ruth, some of the opening words are very, very important, the whole, the whole book, actually. Something we may perhaps overlook. It begins by saying, in the days when the judges ruled. And that's very significant because it tells a time in the history of the people of Israel when they were in a terrible state. They come into the promised land of the Joshua. They'd be given great victory. Then they'd settled in the land. They began to adopt the false gods, the fertility gods, Baal and Ashtoreth, Mr. and Mrs. Baal, of, of the land in which they lived. And so often they turned away from the living God and forgot all of his promises. And God kept raising up judges to bring them back. But often that was only temporary, like Gideon, Samson, and many other like, like them. And it was a terrible time for the people of Israel. And because they disobeyed God, things went wrong. And there was famine. Their land was invaded all the time. And that's probably why so often their crops failed in Bethlehem, where the family we talk about lived originally. It was called a house of bread, because it was such a fertile land. And yet even in Bethlehem, there was a famine. So that Naomi's husband, the Elimelech, took his family away into the country of Moab instead. 3,000 years separate us from those times, and yet those times in which those people lived are so similar to our land today. We have a land of desolation, a land turning its back on the living God, and there are so many consequences. And the whole motto of the secular world in which we live is that men and women are in control. They don't need God. But especially at this time I ask you, are people in control at this time? Of course they are not. And our world needs a humbling before God. Our nation needs a humbling. Our churches need a humbling. Coming back once more to the Lord to say, I am weak, but thou art mighty. Shield me with your mighty hand. There are two books in the Bible that are named after women. Esther and Ruth. And Esther is all about the preservation of God's people. But Ruth is about the preservation of God's inheritance. And yet both these books are all about providence. God's providential hand upon his people. Dr. Martin Jones described providence as this. Providence is that continued exercise of divine energy whereby the creator upholds all his creatures, is operative in all that transpires in the world and directs all things to their appointed end. And as we continue to face our current situation with the coronavirus, we know this, that God is in control. God has got a plan. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, 
For in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When we come into chapter 3 of Ruth, you know, chapter 2 has ended in a remarkable way because Naomi realises who this man called Boaz is. And you see, previously, Ruth has gone to work gleaning in the field. She's gone to a field. She hasn't got a clue who owns it. And yet, it's owned by that man called Boaz. The future of our salvation depends upon Ruth going into that field at that time and that field being owned by the man called called Boas. And how often in history God uses all the inappropriate things, all the inappropriate people to work to his glory and purpose. What do we have? We have Elimelech, Naomi's husband. He takes his family off away from the promised land into a foreign country. And whether he should have done that, we don't know. Maybe the situation was dire. Or maybe he was merely running away from a difficult situation rather than staying where God had placed him. And what happens is his sons marry Gentiles, Moabites. And then both sons die. And he dies. And there you have Ruth, the Moabite, who comes back with Naomi to the promised land. And we know she's going to marry Boaz, who is a daughter of Rahab the harlot, also who was a Gentile. In Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, Rahab is singled out for her faith, her trust in God. And through Rahab and Boaz and Ruth, the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ happens. It wasn't a coincidence that Ruth went into that field. God planned it. In God's economy, there are no coincidences. You see, today, sadly, I believe, often the church, we do this, don't we? We have an unhealthy respect for coincidence. And we have a unhealthy disregard for God's providence working in our lives. And John Flavel was a Puritan and he was persecuted greatly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He often had to move homes because he was being pursued by the authorities. On one occasion he had to ride into the sea on a horse to escape being captured. And yet, John Flavel knew that God is in control. And he wrote, Those who practice seeing providence will never be short of a providence to observe. And in providence, God is even able to use our mistakes to his glory. Of course, Joseph's brothers shouldn't have sold him into slavery, but God used him for good. Of course, David shouldn't commit adultery with Bathsheba. And yet, through that relationship ultimately, came the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find in this book of Ruth so often what 
are often referred to typologies. It simply means this, that the truth of this passage has, by God's grace and the Holy Spirit's inspiration, a meaning that goes way beyond just what's in the passage. You know, for example, when Abraham is called to sacrifice his only son, that's a shadowing that one day God would sacrifice his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seeing here in the book of Ruth, faith at work in varied examples. Arguably, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, had a very weak faith. He fled the land where God had called him to be. And we come to Naomi. Well, she has a faith, and yet that faith is tested, isn't it? And when we begin the book of Ruth, we know that she's the most, most miserable She wants to change her name to reflect how miserable she feels because for her life is full of emptiness. In contrast, what does Ruth do? Ruth, despite all the circumstances, trusts in the God. She wants to be with Naomi, but even more so, she wants Naomi's God to be her God. She knows that that God is with her. And even before there's a chink of sunshine arising on the horizon, Ruth knows that God is in control. But you know, Naomi, here in chapter 2 and chapter chapter 3, she wants to exercise faith, and she's able to do so once a penny begins to drop. At the end of chapter 2, she realises that Boaz is the owner of that field. That, ah, a light bulb comes on. Boaz is what he would call the king's redeemer, of her tribe. And Naomi begins to exercise faith as the sunshine comes through the clouds. And yes, for us, it's often easy to exercise faith when when the sunshine starts to appear, where perhaps we can see God's plan coming through, but how more greater an act of faith to exercise faith, to believe in all that God is going to do in our lives even when all seems desolate and empty. And we know in chapter 3, Naomi now takes over the bits between her teeth. She now starts to matchmake for Ruth because she can see in Boaz a husband for Ruth. And she's doing so in, in Ruth's best interests. But remember, in all of this, This is not coincidence. Yes, through a human agency, Naomi is at work, but it's all God's plan. And when we come into chapter 3, there are two key things that are part of Jewish custom that are so vital to understanding the role of Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. There were two things. The first thing was called the Leverate Law. And that was in the Jewish custom and, and law. When a man died, then a marriage took place through another son, a brother, another relation, to protect the name of a deceased person going out of existence. And secondly, there was a thing called the Goel, which was a kinsman redeemer. And he was one in the family who had the responsibility of redeeming 
another member of the family. Because in the Jewish situation, the family group was very, very important. And this man, Goel, had that responsibility under law to go and redeem that which had been lost. So, for example, a relation sold their property because of poverty. That man was obliged to redeem it. And so, in this situation, Naomi thought this. Boaz was to marry Ruth, to have a child for Ruth and Naomi's dead husbands. And the calling of God's people is redemption. And at the end of chapter 2, we have that turning point, don't we, where Naomi realises that Boaz is a kingsman redeemer and the plan goes into action. And we find Ruth being such an obedient person. She does everything to to what Naomi suggests to her. And yes, as Boaz realises later on, she could have gone for a younger man because Boaz, we believe, was quite an older man. But Ruth went for Boaz to, to, so that that kingsman redeemer might be satisfied and Naomi's family name and that of her husband might be continued. And we're told here, she's told by Naomi to dress with the best clothes, to dress as a bride so that she can ask for that liberate marriage from Boaz. Whether it was a leap year or not, we don't know. But what happens was this, that Ruth is going to Boaz to ask him to marry her, effectively. And she wants to seek protection under the wings of Boaz now, because she now belongs to the covenant people of God. And Ruth asked this, that Boaz might throw his skirt over her as a kinsman redeemer. And by doing so, Boaz would acknowledge that he wants Ruth to be his wife. And Ruth had washed herself. We need to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. She put perfume on. We need to be anointed by God's Holy Spirit. And yet, Ruth also put on her best clothes, but she needed Boaz to throw his skirt over, to put his clothing on her, that she might be able to become his wife. And you know, here is a foreshadowing, because if we come to God with our own spiritual clothing in our own eyes, The best things we can do, the best we can offer, are but filthy rags in the sight of God. And we need the clothing of our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make us righteous in the sight of God, that we can be reconciled unto him. As the hymn puts it, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own, clothed in righteousness divine. And the action of Boaz did not rest on the law, but because of his generosity, was told this, that Boaz knew there was another man who was a closer relative of 
of Naomi and her husband than Boaz was. But Boaz didn't tell Ruth to go away and go to that other person instead. Don't bother me. What did Boaz do? He said, don't worry, I will fix it. He promised Ruth this, that either I will talk to this man and he will marry you, or I will marry you myself. One way or another, Boaz promised that Ruth would be the bride. We're told here in verse 11 of verse, chapter 3, he promised to do all that Ruth asked of her. Yes, he'd find her husband or marry her. And we know this, the Lord Jesus Christ will do everything that we ask of him if we trust him. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But before Ruth leaves, Boaz won't let her go empty-handed. He fills her garment full of grain to give back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And likewise, Jesus will not let us go empty-handed if we trust and believe in him. As John Newton puts it, Dear name, the rock on which I build my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury, filled with boundless stores of grace. And later on in the story, Boaz will pay a price, a price no one else is able and willing to pay. And because he gets that, pays that price, he obtains a bride. And Boaz had the right to redeem, but initially no obligation. Jesus had the right to redeem us, but had no obligation. And both women could not expect this as a right, but they trusted to Boaz's loving mercy and compassion and generosity. Grace free, unmerited, undeserved favour, although we deserve the very opposite. God in love redeems us in Jesus Christ. To him puts it, he calls a worm his friend, he calls himself my God, and he will save me to the end through Jesus' blood. Ruth was poor. Boaz was rich. And this book of Ruth here foreshadows the fact that God's people will be the bride of Christ. Boaz paid a price no one else could pay to receive a bride in Ruth. As God's people, Jesus paid the price on Calvary's hill that nobody else could possibly pay, that we might become the bride of Christ. We are the sons of God through Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And when a man and a woman get married together, they exchange vows. They accept that 
all they have belongs to the other person. And it's not always an equal contribution in the first place. Jesus gives to us all his righteousness as our bridegroom. We give to him as the bride all our sin and shame and guilt. And he takes it away and makes us one with him. And Ruth sat at the feet of Boaz in this chapter 3 account. The hymn puts it, O oh, that I may forever sit like Mary at the Master's feet, let this be my only joy, my only hope, my joy, my bliss, my joy and heaven and earth be this, to hear the bridegroom's voice. And when Ruth goes home to Naomi and tells her what's happened with great joy and celebration, what does Naomi say at the very end? She, she says, says this, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi knew that because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, that he will not rest until all had been settled out. And Jesus will not rest until all that he is doing in us is brought to a completion. Now, at the time of the Reformation, the word conversion meant a very different word, meaning to what is meant today. When we talk about conversion today, we talk about a person, rightly, coming to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Saviour. But for reformers, the Reformation was the start of a process. It started with justification, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, being put right, our sins are going by him. But then it went on to God's people growing in him, becoming sanctified. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place. And perhaps Paul writes here, and I, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And perhaps when I look at churches today, we have got a sanctification problem. The many churches you hear, like in America and other places, where the behaviour of God's people falls far short of conduct becoming of the Christian faith. And why is that so, I believe? Because people sadly have got stuck at justification only and haven't moved on to sanctification. As a people of God, we need God to work in our lives. We need God to change us into the people he wants to be because we know the Lord Jesus Christ, like Boas, will not cease until all that he intends to do in our lives is accomplished. But he does so, as he does so, remember the wonderful promise in Romans chapter 5, that if God has done the greater thing in sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins while we were lost in sin and darkness, 
how can he possibly fail to do the lesser thing? We grow in grace, we grow in truth. Thank God that in Jesus Christ, he is our kinsman redeemer. And as Ruth was a bride of Boaz, we through grace are the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.